Well, good morning, everybody. We are uh, in a series of sermons called Arguing with Jesus. We're looking uh, at places in the Gospels where folks argue with Jesus. Uh, and we're doing that uh, in order to see first what's important to Jesus. We're doing that in order to see how he argues and how he treats the people that he is disagreeing with in a culture that tends towards treating disagreements uh, as some kind of winner-take-all blood sport. We're trying to learn from Jesus what it looks like, um, as we heard in our New Testament lesson, to owe no one anything except to love them. So the last two weeks we've looked at uh, stories where Jesus argues with people who start out opposed to him. This week, um, we're going to look at Jesus arguing with a friend. So I'm going to read from the end of Luke 10 for us. I'll read verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now uh, that the words that we just sang together, that we would find them to be true in our experience in this moment as we think about this word that we've uh, just read and listened to, that we would find rest. Whatever that rest is that we need from you, Would you help us to find it, each one of us? Father, meet each one of us in the places where we are, those who feel near to you, those who feel far from you, those of us who have faith, those of us who don't, those of us who are not sure. Meet us, show us Jesus' grace, and give us rest in it. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, like all of you, Uh, I woke up early on Monday morning to the news of overnight looting uh, in Chicago. Uh, I heard it in uh, just a a quick news brief on the radio. So I went to the Tribune website to find out more, and shortly after that that I was there, I clicked on uh, to a live press conference. Maybe some of you uh, saw that press conference or heard sound bites from it where the mayor and the superintendent of police um, were answering questions from the press. So I click through, and the very first audio that I hear, the very first thing that I hear is the mayor sternly saying to a member of the press, don't try to bait us. We're not playing that. She was saying that, I think, because the reporter who asked the question had read between the lines and understood that the mayor and the police superintendent, without naming her, were pointing fingers at the Cook County State's attorney for being soft in their view on those who had been arrested earlier in the summer for looting. 
Well, as you might know, um, just a few hours after that press conference ended, the, the state's attorney called her own press conference where she pointed the finger right back and said uh, that a response beyond a sound bite and a finger point was required from the mayor. Meanwhile, all day, aldermen were tweeting their thoughts, pointing their fingers at everyone. A downstate politician pointed fingers at the governor, said he should have called in the National Guard. Monday uh, in our city was a mess, and it's still a mess. It's been one pile on after another from our leaders all week. And, you know, I have to say that there's nothing shocking, there's nothing really unusual uh, about being reminded uh, that our leaders responded to a crisis by pointing fingers. And that's kind of why I'm bringing it up, because when things are hard, when things are difficult, when things are overwhelming, it is really tempting and really easy to begin pointing fingers. The problem is not with me. <laughs> the problem is with you. And that is, of course, at the heart of the argument that Jesus has with Martha in that story that we just read together because it begins with Martha pointing fingers. So we can set the stage a little bit. As they went on their way, Luke says, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha uh, welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary. Now, we know uh, from John's gospel that this was a family that Jesus had a very close relationship with. They probably saw each other a lot. Jesus probably stayed with them pretty frequently. Um, God, John, the gospel writer, puts it so simply, he just says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And so all that happens in the house that day happens in the context of affection and care, and that's important to our understanding of the story. And so is this, that Jesus has just taught what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Literally, it's the text right before the one where he enters into their home. And Jesus had told that parable to a lawyer in the middle of yet another argument when the lawyer trying to justify himself had asked Jesus to define who our neighbors are. You should uh, read that parable later on today in the afternoon, even if you're already really familiar with it. It's a story about us loving people very unlike us, even our enemies, with self-giving extravagance. And since Jesus spoke it until now, the teaching that he gave us in that parable has stood up as a prime example of what it looks like to live a life of service for the good of our neighbors and for the good of the world. Alongside Jesus' own life, who, and he's the one who embodied a life of service for the good of the world, the teaching in that parable perfectly crystallizes what it looks like to give of what we have. Our time, our resources, our energy, our talents in the service of others. And so with that in mind, it's interesting, isn't it? To consider what is at the heart of the problem for Martha. She was, Luke says, distracted with much serving. She was distracted with serving. 
you know, the scene in the house that day is so simple, uh, so clear. It is so completely relatable. And church, we shouldn't for a minute think that what Martha is doing is part of the problem. That is not part of the problem. She is giving of herself. She is giving of what she has to Jesus and whoever came into her house that day. She's using what she has to serve. In other words, she's embodying the parable of the Good Samaritan. She is doing exactly the thing that Jesus just said people who follow him should be doing. And yet, there is this problem. There's Martha. She's running around. She's working hard. She's actually doing stuff for people, showing hospitality, bringing things back and forth, making sure the glasses don't go empty, making sure the plates are still filled, getting the next course ready. And she looks into that front room, and she sees her sister Mary doing what she thinks is absolutely nothing. And it is killing her. It is tearing her up. And so at some point she hits her breaking point and she bursts into the room and she interrupts Jesus as he is teaching and all of the anger and all of the pain and all of the yuck that is inside her begins to pour out with this one question. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve all alone? The problem here, Jesus, is not me. It's you. It's both of you. She's obviously pointing the finger at her sister Mary. I mean, she's wasting time in there, right, while there's stuff to be done. She's being a horrible sister. <laughs> but Martha is just as clearly pointing a finger at Jesus. If, he, he, if you'd just be more sensitive, Jesus, if you'd be more aware of the situation, then I think you would probably give me some relief. I mean, taking a break, that's one thing, a little break. But she has not lifted a finger in a while. And obviously, Jesus, you do not care. I mean, church... Martha is doing the right kind of thing. She is an activist. But it's an activism that is filled with narrowness of vision. It is an activism that is filled with judgment of others. It is an activism that is filled with fault-finding. And therefore, it's an activism that is completely devoid of joy or satisfaction. It is ornery. And it is mean. She's getting a bunch of stuff done, but she can't stand it. And you know, church, sometimes I think that the straight line <laughs> between the words of Scripture and our own lives, it kind of draws itself. <laughs> I think this is one of those mo moments. Ornery, mean, Finger-pointing, judgmental activism does not bring life to anyone. It never has, and it never will. Not when our elected and appointed officials do it, not when beautiful but troubled Martha does it, 
and not when you and I do it. Of course, all of us are called to serve. Serving is at the very heart of our faith. Jesus didn't just teach the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said that he came not not to be served, but to serve. And his life embodied it. His death, his resurrection, his ascension embodied that service. So faithfully following him means that our lives should definitely look like that too. But what happens when service becomes a joyless thing for people like us? What happens when we want to start hurling accusations at our friends, at our coworkers, at our spouses, at our kids, at our parents? What happens when in service we begin to harbor the fantasy that we're the only ones who are doing something? We're the only ones who care. We're the only ones who are doing stuff that matters. When people like us say those things or, or even think them, our hearts shrink and our vision dulls and we become anxious and troubled and angry, just like Martha. And you know Martha, for her part, is absolutely sure she has the solution to the problem. She looks at Jesus and says, tell her to help me. So Jesus has been interrupted in his teaching, and it's worth asking, what is the most important thing to Jesus in this moment? What is the thing that matters most to Jesus? And we better not be mistaken. (laughs) It is Martha who matters the most to Jesus in this moment. He does not scold her for interrupting him. He turns to her. He focuses all of his attention on her, and he gently and kindly tells her what the real problem is. (laughs) He says her name twice, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but there is one thing necessary. And then Jesus moves graciously and effortlessly from diagnosing the problem to providing the cure. (laughs) He says to Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. And when Jesus says that, when he talks about Mary choosing the good portion, he's alluding to this whole raft of Old Testament teaching, this rich vein of Old Testament teaching that says that the most cherished possession anyone can have, the, the, the most fulfilling way of life for any human being can, that, that they can ever have is to walk with God, to be known by him and to know him. Our Old Testament lesson from Psalm 16 was a beautiful, great example of that. The psalm writer says, The Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. He holds my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. He's talking about God as his feast, as his inheritance. And that's what Mary has chosen as she sits and as she learns from Jesus. And Jesus, in turn, is inviting Martha 
and he is inviting us to that same good portion, the one thing necessary. Because to rest in God and to walk with God and, and to be known by God and to know him, it is to be set free. It's no mystery how people like us do that. We, we know God and are known by him. We walk with him by being attentive to the words of scripture, by worshiping together through prayer, through life together as the church. This is how we do it. And to do it is to be set free. To be loved like that is to be made new because being loved like that doesn't diminish our desire to serve or our motivation to serve. It actually fuels that. Sometimes we find ourselves in the place of being ready to give ever, even more than we ever have before out of the abundance of the feast that we have already been given. And then we begin to serve others with joy and happiness and self-forgetfulness. Jesus is not saying that Martha's doing is the problem. He's saying that her doing and your doing and my doing would be transformed if we would start by sitting with him first as a habit of life. The anxiety of service, the, the, the trouble of it, the impulse to finger pointing in it would weaken if first we would feast on our chosen portion and drink deeply from that cup. And so church, my prayer is that we will be a people who take Jesus up on that invitation, a people who find him to be true. Let me pray for us. Father, you know all of us here at one point or another have felt exactly the feelings that Martha felt, alone, the only one, the only person doing something important, the only person doing the things that matter. And so we ask, Father, that we would take Jesus up on this invitation, <laughs> that we would feast and rest in him first and find that our service is transformed from a joyless, anxious thing into a joyful, life-giving thing. Father, do that for us as individuals and then do it so that through us we can serve this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.